the book of Isaiah, and today we're going to look at the first 11 verses of the, of the 40th chapter, okay? So Isaiah chapter 40, the first 11 verses in a message I've entitled Comfort and Consolation. And so uh, with that, let's take our hearts to the Lord. Father God, we're just so grateful to be here to worship you, to honor you this day. And we pray, God, that you would speak to us, Lord, in a, in a tangible kind of uh, non-mistakable uh, kind of way. Uh, we just give ear to you, Lord, and we say, speak for your servants are listening. And so we pray that when we're done here today, we would be made more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, in the 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah, there is a paradigm shift that takes place. We're lifted out of the minor key of condemnation and heavy exhortation, and, and we're brought into the major key of comfort and consolation. And our focus kind of transitions from the sovereign's crown to the Savior's cross, and from the government of God to the grace of God, and from the law of God pointedly proclaimed to the love of God powerfully portrayed, and from the burden of the Lord to the the blessing of the Lord, and from the judgment of God to the joy of God. And so with that in mind, let's take and turn our attention to the very first verse of the 40th chapter, the book of Isaiah, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. And you can probably bring back just a little bit, Jared, speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Well, I trust that if you've been with us throughout the previous chapters of the book of Isaiah, you catch the shift in tone beginning here in chapter 40. Uh, let's recall that as chapter 39 came to a close, it was with that ominous announcement of Babylonian captivity looming on the horizon for the nation of Judah. They would be delivered from the snare of the Assyrians only to wind up in the net, so to speak, of the Babylonians. And it was because of Hezekiah's pride, the fact that he sought to impress the ambassadors of Babylon, showing them all of Judah's treasures, and he allowed their flattery to inflate his ego after he had promised that he would walk carefully before the Lord and intentionally honor the Lord. Today, we might say that Hezekiah took Judah out of the proverbial frying pan of Assyrian captivity and into the fire of Babylonian captivity. Oh, it would be a hundred years or so uh, before it took place, but how discouraging is it to know that as a nation that you may escape captivity, but your sons and your daughters, your grandchildren are going to be carried away and taken captive into a pagan nation. But there's a transition that takes place here because God wants them to know that that's not how the story ends. Yes, judgment is coming. Yes, the sins of God's people will be dealt with. But come on, somebody, those sins will also be done away with. And their iniquity will be pardoned. And they'll be released from the bondage of Babylon. And a glorious restoration of the nation will take place. And so the word goes out to the people through the prophet. He says, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Family, it's an important principle that we latch onto here. Because Isaiah knew what it was to warn and to rebuke and to uh, exhort and instruct God's people. But of equal value is the fact that God wanted his people to receive his comfort. 
And God wanted his people to know that they could receive the comfort because, well, it wasn't simply an empty gesture, perhaps the spiritual platitude of a, you know, well-intended individual with no real power or ability to do anything for them. Guys, it wasn't the comfort of a well, you know, meaning friend or neighbor, a work associate or a parent or even a grandparent. And guys, I would never seek to devalue anyone's efforts anyone's intent to bring comfort. But sometimes there's just nothing any person can do for you. Now they may try. And again, they may be well, you know, they may mean well, but it just falls short of the deep needs of the recesses of your heart. But your creator, your God sees what's happening and he will comfort you. He is moved with compassion toward you and will bring true healing and hope to the hidden hurt of your heart. And so what God is saying here is that he will not neglect the deep-seated hurt in the hearts of his children. The psalmist said it like this. He said, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Guys, I want you to note the familial terms of verse 1. He says, my people, your God, there's relationship there. God sees you, and he knows what's happening in you, and you need to know that he is not indifferent toward your pain and the anguish of your soul and the hurt of your heart. And can I say, what a precious ministry and a much-needed ministry among the people of God today, bringing comfort and consolation to others in the name of Jesus Christ. With all the confusion out there, all the contention out there, all the uncertainty and the anxiety and the tragedy, the people of God are all too ready for a word of comfort and encouragement. And that's what this word comfort means. It means to ease one's sorrow, to strengthen emotionally, to console and encourage compassionately. Guys, I think too often, all too often, God is either, be it intentionally or even inadvertently, portrayed as this man, you know, this, with the giant fly swatter in the sky. And there he is, and he's poised and prepared, just waiting for the opportune time to swat you down. And though I would never for a second seek to diminish the holy and righteous nature of the living God, let's be careful that we not neglect the fact that God's heart is equally full of compassion, and it is tender in mercy, and it longs to bring healing to the hurting. In fact, God is the wellspring, the very origin source of all comfort. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is clear. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, notice, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble, listen to this, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Family, I want you to understand what we just read here. The Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, wants you to know, don't miss it, that there are times that you're going to go through things. Uh, He calls them troubles. He calls them tribulations. 
And you're going to wonder why. I mean, we're always kind of trying to wrap our head around the why and the what for in life. Why did this happen to me? What did I do to bring this upon me? But God wants you to know, listen to me, that there are times that you're going to be allowed to pass through things that have nothing to do with you. He's got someone else on his radar that he wants to minister to through you. And he wants you to be able to testify of the faithfulness, the comfort, the healing power of God upon the deep hurt of your own heart to that person who needs a word in due season. And it's not going to be this empty, well, hang in there. I'm sure it's all going to get better. No, it'll be a, hey, I've been right where you are, and I'm going to tell you how God ministered to me and how he brought healing to me. And what that will do is that will resonate in them. It will be real to them, and God will reach them through your life. Question, are you, think it through, open to God taking you through deep waters to further his reach through your life. Family, he is the God of all comfort, and he needs his messengers to speak comfort to his people. You know, here we are. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. We all come. We gather collectively, corporately. It's a thing of beauty. It's what we ought to be doing, and everyone looks so nice. And, you know, we all do our best to put forth our, our very best countenance, but I know, I know that there are hidden, hurting hearts in this room. And it's important that you hear a word of comfort from the Lord. And he ministers comfort through the person, through the power of his Holy Spirit. In fact, it's in John chapter 14, isn't it, where Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper or another translation, the comforter. And that's his ministry, to come alongside you, to encourage, to comfort you. And by the way, as long as we're speaking about relationship between our Heavenly Father and his people, his children, let's throw this out there. As parents, there are times that we need to speak a stern word or perhaps take a severe action with our children. But even as we see here, after the conviction, after the correction, there should always be comfort, restoration, and reconciliation. And I think so often that's where, as parents, we can fail. We're good maybe, well, I mean, today, I, I don't know. Most are good at handing out the heavy hand of correction, but they struggle bringing the soft hand of comfort and consolation. Speak comfort to Jerusalem, he says in verse 2. Now, this word comfort is a different word than the word translated comfort in verse 1. Here, literally, what it's saying is speak to the heart. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem. And guys, it's not that we never challenge the mind. It's, it's not that we never appeal to the intellect. But to comfort someone, you need to speak to the heart. Speak to the heart. And look at the word that God speaks to the heart of his people. It's here in verse 2. He says, her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. Now, from the practical perspective, the Assyrians were still knocking at their door. 
Babylonian captivity was still looming in their future. But from the prophetic perspective, the warfare was already over. Come on, somebody. Now, we're going to touch on this a little bit later, so I'm not going to linger on it here, but the idea here is this is the confidence, the certainty of the Word of God. God can speak those things that have yet to happen as though they're already in the past. We see it in Isaiah chapter 46. I am God, and there is no other. I am God. There is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. But the word of comfort, the warfare is ended. I hope that's a word of comfort for someone here today. The warfare is ended. And there are obviously a couple of applications here as it would pertain to evangelism. You and me as believers, every one of us, you see, you need to understand this. You have good news. You have a word of comfort to share with mankind. The warfare is ended. There's no reason to be at enmity, that is, uh, in a state of warfare against God. Iniquity has been pardoned. Now, We're going to break stride with our text here a little bit because uh, the pardoning of your iniquity differs, obviously, from what happened with Judah historically. But the warfare I'm talking about has nothing to do with Assyria. It has nothing to do with Babylon. We're talking about the war that mankind wages with God through sin. But the sin dilemma has been pardoned. And not by any payment we made, but by the payment he made through Jesus Christ upon the cross. It's Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, say amen to that. And, And again, Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 24. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness, that is Christ, all the fullness should dwell. And by him, that is Christ, to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. In Christ, your iniquity is pardoned. Yeah, that's a great place for an amen. So guard against the trap because I know how this can work. You and me, we want to guard against the trap of thinking that somehow or in some way, you know, I still need to pay for my sins. You know, there you are, you've blown it, and now you feel like you kind of deserve the misery. You want to walk in the misery because, you know, you need to pay for what you've done. You can't pay for what you've done. Christ already paid for what you've done. Now, you may need to make things right with someone that you've hurt or something like that. You know, you you may need to uh, reconcile with some folks, but pertaining to your relationship with God, we cannot add to or supplement in any way the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. When he uttered those words, it is finished, that's exactly what he meant. Paid in full, the penalty of sin fully satisfied. That's application number one, pertaining to evangelism. Application number two, pertaining to the equipping of the saints. Guys, I say it on the regular around here, but I really do believe that it's not uh, overly redundant. As believers, we have been enlisted in and are engaged in a war a spiritual war, and you and me, we've been called to the front lines. But from the eternal perspective, 
How many of you know that as far as God's concerned, the warfare has ended? You know, you are more than a conqueror through him who has loved you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You don't fight for victory. You fight from victory. You are already seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The warfare is ended. And he says, for she, in regard to Jerusalem, I'm coming back to the text, has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, a couple things we want to look at here because we kind of scratch our heads and we think, wait, what does that mean? Well, there is a principle in the law whereby if someone was to steal from someone else, the restitution, the way to reconcile the offense was to restore double what you had taken. And so the idea here, God is saying appropriate restitution has been made. But it's interesting here, the word double, it also carries the idea of doubling over or being folded in half. I didn't bring a piece of paper. Imagine a piece of paper, here it is, and you fold one side over and it exactly corresponds, it doubles, it corresponds exactly with the other side. It's folded in half. What's being said here, regardless of which way you understand it, isn't that they received more than they deserved, but rather a perfect correspondence between the payment and the penalty has been made. Are you following me? The exact payment needed has been made. And so too with you and with me. God did not pardon our iniquity because one day he was in an above average mood and so he just decided to kind of let us slide on that. No, that would make him unrighteous. But our sin-bearing Savior has received double has received the penalty uh, for our sin from the Lord's hand. Jesus Christ is the one who received the cup of wrath from the hand of the Father on our behalf. He paid in full the exact payment that our penalty required. Amen? Okay. And we see here in verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Hallelujah. Somebody underline verse 5, man. Guys, I want you to note that the comfort of God's people is ultimately connected to the coming of Christ. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, uh, if we read through that, and for some reason that's kind of ringing familiar in your head, in your heart, it's because you've read those words before in your New Testament, in Matthew and Mark and Luke, they all apply them to who? To John the Baptist in preparing the nation for the coming of Jesus Christ. And in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist himself said he was the fulfillment of this passage when the religious leaders were grilling him uh, with regard to who he was, what he was about, what he was out there doing, and all the rest. Hey, are you the Christ? He said, No. Are you Elijah? He said, No. He said, Well, are you the prophet? No. Well, then who are you? What are you doing? 
And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And the idea is that the Lord is coming to his people as a triumphant king, and there needs to be a little, or in some cases, perhaps a lot, of road work done so that he might come in comfort and ease and glory, you see. You see, in the ancient world, and still in places today, when I was in Africa, they did this. We were uh, there in uh, Agbo. Uh, shout out to Bernard if you're watching. Our Nigerian friend watches online. But there we were, and um, a king was going to come and, and honor us in his church. Well, you know, and uh, so guess what they did? Man, they sent out a crew, and they filled, out the, they filled up the potholes, and they took away the debris and all the brush and anything that could clutter or be in the way of the coming of the king. And this is what was happening here. You know, the idea is like, look, the, the crew would proceed him. No potholes in the road, no limbs in the way. The valleys filled, the crooked ways made straight, rough patches smoothed over, every obstacle removed. Ladies and gentlemen, the king is coming, you see. And so this is something that they were easily able to grab hold of as like a word picture because the real preparation takes place in our hearts. And that's what he's trying to communicate. Guys, the environment of the human heart can be an incredibly complicated, complex context to navigate There can be all kinds of problems and difficulties that need to be tended to and made right that people might be readied to receive the Lord. Maybe you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ, but you're all too familiar with the fact that, you know, you're awfully sinful and and, and you're unworthy and and you live in this constant state of condemnation, and you're all too familiar with who you are and what you've done, and you live in the valley of depression and defeatism and and discouragement, and what you need is a building up. You need to know God loves you. He's here for you. He wants to know you. He wants to forgive you, you see. It could be that uh, you're here, and you think you're uh, God's gift to mankind, and you know, uh, you've this mountainous pride and this overwhelming ego and and you're so full of yourself you're better than everyone else well let me god wants to take you down a notch or two sir or maybe ma'am you know there are there are some crooked areas that may need to be straightened out some rough patches that need smoothed over But here we are, the voice of one crying in the wilderness of humanity. Guys, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Turn from your sin. Trust in Jesus Christ. Get ready for the coming of the Lord. This is your message, you see. Ladies and gentlemen, the Lord is coming, and behold, every eye will see him, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord, this is that certainty, that surety, uh, the mouth of the Lord for whom it is impossible for him to lie, has spoken. People sometimes have the question, is there anything God can't do? Actually, there's a number of things God can't do. Did you know that? God cannot lie. That's one thing that he cannot do. God cannot learn. He knows everything. And God cannot love you anymore. He loves you fully and completely. The voice said, cry out, verse 6. And he said, what shall I cry? Guys, these these are passages, these are points, these are places that should be 
piquing our attention. Verse five, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Get ready, prepare the people for his coming. Cry out, call out, you see, compel them. The voice said, cry out, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. And surely the people are grass and the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Would, would you agree with me that this is a, um, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, that this is a solemn responsibility? I mean, this is, this is something that we would do well to not take lightly. Would you agree with that? And with such a, an important responsibility, I think the prophet did well to ask the question, what then should I cry? What is the message that you would have me to bring to mankind? What exactly should I be saying? And here it is, be it for John the Baptist historically, for you and me presently, the message is the same. Did you see it? I hope you underlined it. All flesh is as grass. What do you mean? Well, the message is the frailty, the vulnerability, the transient, temporary nature of humanity. In light of eternity, we don't have long on this earth. You know, we've kind of, now we had a little bit of rain recently, but essentially we have, in our area, we've entered into basically our little drought season and, and what is green now will soon be turning brown and, and dying off and fading away. And God says, that's a picture that I've ordained for you, that you and me, we might glean an understanding of just how fleeting the beauty and strength of man is, how quickly we pass from this life. And it's because, he says, the breath of the Lord blows upon it. In other words, God has established it this way for his own glory. The grass withers, the flower fades, but in comparison and contrast, the word of our God stands forever. Now, you and me, we are at best temporary in this world. The word of God, on the other hand, will carry on eternally in, how do you say, perpetuity, permanently. Well, perhaps you're thinking, well, gosh, I don't see how that's much of a comfort. I mean, here comes the comforting word. You're going to die, but God's word's going to carry on. I mean, yea, for God's word, no cynicism intended. But I mean, how does that comfort me? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Peter picked up on this passage uh, of Scripture, and the Holy Spirit gave him a beautiful insight and application on exactly that. In fact, we want to turn there together, So, uh, and I marked it. Where's Ed? I marked it today, Ed, so I wouldn't miss the chapter uh, for you. There he is, you know. Uh, so First Peter chapter 1, okay? First Peter chapter 1. Go ahead and make your way there, guys. You there? Four of you? 
1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to begin, let me draw your attention to the 22nd verse, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. Peter says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren... Come on, guys, underline. I mean, this isn't even part of our study, but it's so important. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades or falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which you, or by which the gospel was preached to you. Oh, don't miss it, family. Your flesh is weak. It is frail. It is fragile. It is feeble. And your life physically will fail. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, here's the key. Now, this is the word, the word of the Lord by which the gospel was preached to you. Guys, the comfort of your soul is that you have been born again, not by man's word or corruptible, temporary, the fleeting seed of man, but by God's incorruptible, enduring, eternal word. As sure as God's word is eternal, the life that he's given you through his word is eternal. Guys, the gospel is not a temporary hope. It is eternal life because the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God through which we have been born again stands forever. Listen, I wish I could say that right because if I could, we would all get on our faces and worship God right here and now. Salvation is forever because it's wrought through the word of God which stands forever. Talk about good news. Talk about glad tidings. Look at verse 9. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountains, O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Guys, God wants this message shouted from the mountaintops. He says, listen, he says, uh, uh, get up into the high mountains. What would, what would a mountaintop be of today's age? Like, what is your social media platform of choice, right? Is it snap? Do we snap it out? Is that what we say? Snap it out. You, you got to be a certain age demographic to get that one, you know? Put it on your Instagram reel. Make a Facebook video or a TikTok or whatever you see. The idea here is share it with everyone you can. Do the work of an evangelist. Don't be ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. The idea is you have good tidings, good news. Lift up your voice with strength. 
Lift it up. Don't be afraid. You see, say, behold your God. Look at what God has done for you, how Christ has died for you. The offer of eternal life is there for you. It's the clarion call of Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. I'll let you look that up on your own. But be a city set on a hill. Let your light so shine that God might be glorified in your life. You see. In verse 10, behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. What's falling into focus for us here, ladies and gentlemen, is the second coming of Christ. Behold, the Lord shall come with a strong arm and his arms shall rule. Behold, his reward is with him. His work is before him. I want you to know something. God pays attention to every one of your lives. He pays attention, man. And when the Lord returns, he's going to settle each account. Matthew 16, verse 27, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Now, if you knew the boss was coming, was going to evaluate your work, you'd probably want to know that, wouldn't you? Would you, rather, would you like, a, like a forewarning, hey man, the boss is coming, don't know when exactly, but it's soon. Or do you want him just to come in and find you like playing on your computer? No, you want the forewarning. You got the forewarning. He's coming. Blessed is the one whom when his master comes is found so doing, right? Now we're going to start making our way to a close. So um, I don't know if Karen's our closer. You come on up here when you're done writing your note there. Praise God. Verse 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd and he will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Now, guys, we're going to pick up on this point next time, so I'm not going to say a whole lot about it now, but suffice it to say for now that our Lord is the good shepherd who leads us and feeds us tends to and takes care of us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yeah. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Comfort. Comfort my people. And I want you to notice it's those of us who are the weakest that he carries the closest to his heart. Did you see that? Those who are bogged down with cares and concerns, he gently leads. He doesn't scold us and kick us aside and tell us to get our act together and suck it up and all the stuff. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. He draws us in closer. He carries us near to his heart. Family, this is the comfort. This is the consolation of Christ. He's coming again. He offers forgiveness of sin, his protection, his provision, everlasting life. Your life is temporary. The life that he gives will last eternally. 
how can I say so with such authority? It's because all flesh is as grass. It's loveliness like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God through which the gospel was preached to you stands forever. And so let's bow our hearts and just thank God for his enduring, eternal word. God, we thank you for your word to us today. Words of comfort, of tender care and compassion. And I pray, God, that we be not ashamed of the gospel, not embarrassed to shout it from the mountaintops, as it were, that we would lift up our voice with strength and share the good news of your gospel with a hurt and dying world. God, may we do the work of an evangelist and fulfill our ministry. May we lay hold of all of that for which you have laid hold of us. Lord, it's so easy for us to be distracted, to take our eyes off the prize, to fall into the flow, the rhythm, and the ways of this world. But, oh God, you have so much more for us. Forgive us, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, for an extra measure of sensitivity to your spirit for each heart that's here. That we would step in stride with your spirit. That we would be bold. Lord, you've said in your word that the righteous are as bold as a lion. That you haven't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And you have called us to a time such as this. What an honor. Help us to run the race to win. And I would just say while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I have a question for you. And it's just for you. It's not for anyone around you. Is your heart prepared for the coming of the Lord. I mean, are you ready? Let the Spirit of God bring low those high places. Lift up those low places. Straighten out the crooked areas. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And so if the Lord's knocking on the door of your heart today, again, it's just that solemn, holy moment where you know the Lord is speaking to you. He's knocking on you saying, Hey, if you'll hear my voice, Don't harden your heart. So if today is a day of salvation for you, can I pray for you? Maybe maybe everybody here knows Jesus. I'm not presuming, okay? But I'm making the opportunity. I don't care 
where you've come from or the circumstances that surround your life. All I care about is that you leave here with everlasting life. So if I can pray for you to that end, would you just show me who you are? Just raise your hand. And if I, if I see your hand, I'll, I'll acknowledge it and you can put it back down. But I just want to give you a second here to say, yeah, this moment's for me. I don't know if it's for anybody else, but I know it's for me. Anyone I can pray for? God bless you. I see you. God bless you. Put your hand down. Anybody else? Father, we just thank you for your faithfulness. And you know, when we come to this kind of place, I never want to presume upon what's happening in anyone's heart. And I know, as I said today, there there are hidden hurts out there. You know, how's it going? Oh, good, but not really. And so with this, we just want to start from the beginning. The Bible tells us that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, but if we'll confess that He's faithful, He's just, He'll forgive us, He'll cleanse us, not of most of our unrighteousness, not of, you know, the lion's share or the small things, but of all unrighteousness. And so this is where you just come to God and you just get raw and you get real with Him. Guys, the Bible says, for the Word of God is living, it is powerful, And it pierces to the division of the soul and the spirit of the joint and the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. And all things are open and naked, real and raw, before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so just be real with God. And just say, God, here I am. I, I don't know how to be more real than I am right now. So God, just I give the whole of who I am to you. And God, I ask you to save me. That you would forgive me of my sin. I'm calling on your name. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And make me new. And thank you for putting my name in your book of life. And God, help me to live my life for you from this day forward. Boldly, unashamed, use me for your glory. And Father, again, I pray that be for each of us here, that we be that city set on a hill, not covering the light, not trying to blend in, but being willing to stand out. And let the chips fall where they may. God, I lift up every hurt that's here. Every need for healing that's here. And we just cast ourselves at your feet. Because you care for us. So be the lifter of our head. Strengthen us for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name. Amen.